Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. Today we conclude our series on the Book of Acts. James Myers discusses Paul's arrival and hospitable welcome on the island of Malta, his discussion with the Jews in Rome, and his final word of warning which James expands upon to those inside and outside the church. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaoffire.org. You can also view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. So today, we are actually concluding the book of Acts, the 28th chapter. We started about nine months ago, and now we are concluding this wonderful work that I hope we still remember, you know, bits and pieces of, if not hopefully the entire thing. Today, <coughs> we'll be concluding this, this account. Um, I, think it, I think it concludes in a fascinating way, uh, which we'll, we'll briefly discuss, but... So, chapter 28, we're going to read through the whole chapter. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome, because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he had escaped the sea, yet justice is not allowed to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was God, a God. In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick of fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. After three months we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there we circled around and reached Regium, and after one day the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Puteoli, where we found brethren, and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome, and from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Apai, Forum, and Three Inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had done anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see, to see you and speak with you, because, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea, Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what, what you think, for concerning this sect we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God persuading them concerning Jesus both from both the law, of the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. He who has ears to hear the word of God. Let him hear. 
Our Father and our God, as we consider this, the conclusion of the accounts that you have done through your apostles and your disciples, I ask that you generate a great witness. You manifest yourself in your truth. As we consider your servant Paul, I ask that we consider our own hearts and our own devotion to you, my God. Rise up in us a holy fire in that same boldness which you so providentially and faithfully gave to your people at this time. I pray now you cascade that same torrent upon your people now. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. In the name of Jesus Christ we ask it. Amen. So the way I want to start, the way I want to begin is actually with the conclusion. Obviously, it seems like it abruptly ends. Who know, you know, there's, there, there's wide conjecture as to why Luke ends this way. And I'm going to give you mostly the traditional account and some of my own speculation as to why Luke chooses to leave it this way. So, the, the end of this two years is likely around 60 AD. Paul seemingly was released from his first imprisonment. From this imprisonment, he had been released and he even went on another missionary journey and reached as far as Spain. So, and then he's later arrested. Remember when we briefly talked about Nero? That's kind of why I wanted to introduce it at that point. At first, he was, he was very judicious. You know, he, he was, he was a, a decent emperor in that regard. In the year 64, he, he kind of lost his mind. He kind of lost his mind. There was a great fire in Rome that almost destroyed Rome. And there's an account that at this time Nero was playing his fiddle as Rome burned. And most people th thought, and most people still think, or many people think, that Nero himself was the one who started the fire. Nero ended up blaming the Christians for the fire. And a huge amount of persecution began then. Nero would light his garden with the bodies of Christians. He would use Christians as torches. In the year 67, it's understood that uh, both Peter and Paul were executed. Peter, since he wasn't a Roman, was going to be crucified. That's what they would do to those who were not Romans. But Peter you know, begged them not to crucify him like his Lord. He was not worthy to die like his Lord. So he was crucified upside down. If you ever see an upside down cross, it's kind of the sign of Peter. Since Paul was a Roman citizen, he was beheaded. So, I want, you know, we need to recognize that this, the ending of this really does lead into his release, his brief release for a time, then he goes, still on his missionary journeys, and he's later arrested and executed, just like Christ had promised him. The reason I think, I believe, we don't have that account is because Paul implored Luke not to include it. If we had his execution, and even Peter's, in holy writ, I think it's inevitable that people would start to worship Paul and Peter just like they kind of do now. Some do now. So Paul, I believe, told Luke, this is good enough. This is good enough. You're sending this to Theophilus anyway. This is good enough. Do not give my account of my death. That is, that is, that is, that is witness to Christ, but it is not to be included in the canon. It is my last sermon, but that is not to be included. Calvin did the same thing. When John Calvin died, he, just, he asked that he be buried in an unknown place because he knew people would build all sorts of structures around there and visit there and, and pray to John Calvin and all that, and so he would not have that. It's my belief. It's my conjecture. It's my speculation that's, that Paul asked Luke not to include that. So that's a brief account of what happened to Paul and Peter, and I wanted to begin with this because 
the last word of Paul, most people get all get bent out of shape because of the way it ends. The real reason, it, the real way it ends, is this last great word from Paul, and that is what we what we are going to consider. So that's why I wanted to kind of begin with the ending, so that we can end with what I find the actually the actual closing conclusion to this account. But first. Now, when they had escaped, they then found that the, the island was called Malta. So remember last week, they were shipwrecked, and they didn't know where, right? Well, apparently it was an island called Malta. Now, now it's about November. Remember, they started out in, in October. They were there for at least two weeks, but I told you it was most likely longer. So we're, we're at least in November, where it's very cold, where it's very cold, and they are wet. Okay, so they are freezing at this point. So, and the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had... Get, now, th this term natives is literally barbarians. Now, we think of barbarians as these ruthless, cruel, you know, people. Barbarians, especially in the Roman and Greek categories, really just mean people who, didn't, who decided not to speak the language. They would not assimilate to the... Greek culture and society. They, they kept their own culture, their own social construct, so to speak, and kept on speaking their own native language. So that's all this means here. And we see that because they're dealing kindly with these men. You know, these men, the, all these have just wrecked, and they're, they come on shore, they're freezing, they're, you know, they're wet. And so they're dealing kindly with us, with them. But when Paul had gathered, so they, they, they kindled a fire. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, snakes are cold-blooded animals. So when it's cold, so when, if you go golfing, you know, in, in a place where there are snakes, if it's, if it's hot, you don't want to go looking for balls when the grass is high, as, we, as some of us know. You know, because you, you don't see the snakes, so you're likely to get bitten. When it's cold, they kind of hide out, typically in a bundle of sticks. You know, if you, if you do some pruning or if you do some, some woodwork on your trees or whatnot, and you just leave them on the ground for a long period of time, chances are snakes going to be in there, especially when it's warm. So once it gets by the fire and gets a little hot, then it wakes up. It wakes up and snatches right on Paul's hand snatches and, and, and remains there. Now there's, briefly, I didn't want to get into this, but there's, there's a big consternation regarding this because vipers, when they, when they bite, they just bite and then they let go. Now, there have been times though where vipers bite and then they get stuck. They get stuck and that's likely what happens here. There are accounts of, of people who, who have these snake boots, right, who are in areas of snakes and they get bitten on the boot and fortunately for them, it doesn't go through, so they're not, you know, struck with the venom. However, the next problem they have is actually getting rid of the snake, you know, because it's stuck to their boot. So that's what happened, likely, with Paul. But it bit him. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice is not allowed to live. So they think, now this justice is actually their god called Nemesis. So that's actually where we get nemesis. So basically they're saying, just justice, our God demands that the, the justice, the perfect justice of God is exacted on this side of heaven, this side of death, basically. You, you are rewarded in this life, just like the Sadducees. You are rewarded in this life and you are punished in this life. So they think that though he escaped the sea and he wasn't killed there, they think that now their God has, has made it to where this, this viper has bitten him, and now he's going to die because he's a murderer. They, they assume he must be a great evil man. He was able to escape this, this terrible disaster, yet God is God, is what they think. And so now he's exacting judgment on him now with a viper. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, Paul shook him off of his hand like nothing. He didn't, he didn't freak out. He didn't panic. He, 
he just calmly shut it off because he knew that God is faithful. There, there are other parts in Scripture that say, even if you're bitten by a serpent, you will suffer no harm. Paul knows he is going to be delivered up to Rome. Right? And he's, he's been saved. He was encouraged through the, that ship. And now he knows, no matter what, that was an, ex- an amazing deliverance that just happened. How am I going to now think that this viper is going to kill me? So he shook it off like nothing. Shook it off like nothing. Didn't panic. Saw that it bit him. Saw that it hung around for a little bit. So he had to <laughs> snatch it off of his hand. And then he just hangs back like nothing happened. So they first think that he's a murderer. And then when he does that, and they're looking at him, waiting for him to either swell up and then immediately rush him to the hospital. There's no hospital, but you rush him to some kind of care or to just fall down dead. That's, what's gonna, that's what happens when, you, when you're bitten by a viper. Nothing happens, so now they think that he's a god. Now let's go back to Lystra. Remember chapter 14 of Lystra where, when Paul had healed that lame man. And, and then everybody started worshiping him. They thought that this was Zeus and Hermes, remember? You know, and, and then Paul, Paul and Barnabas at that time run into the crowd and say, Man, no, 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 no. Turn away from this. Turn to God, you know. And then the Jews came down and, you know, started telling them some slander about Paul. And then they stoned him almost to death. So, again, this is a reversal. This is a reversal. They first thought he was a murderer. They thought that, that justice needed to be exacted on him. And then they realize that is, that is so far from the truth. But now they think he's a god. Now Luke doesn't get into his rebuking him, them, because we've seen it over and over again. Luke doesn't need to add that. We know what Paul's reaction was to that. Do not worship me, just like at Lystra. Turn away from this. Turn to the living God. And we will see. That's the testimony that they start to follow. Okay, but I just want to, we need to make the point that Luke did not add that, yet we know it happened. Right? Just like we've been seeing that just because Luke doesn't say certain things doesn't mean it didn't happen. Doesn't mean that that young girl wasn't saved. It doesn't mean that Julius wasn't saved. It doesn't mean that none of the men on that ship were saved. It just means Luke didn't include it. He gives us account, account, after account, after account, after account that would imply this, and so he just leaves it out. He's trying to give a brief synopsis. Papyrus, paper, was very expensive. Books were very expensive. Parchments, very expensive. So, you know, they're trying to kind of con- consolidate and condense the narrative. So that's why he, he leaves it out. But we know Paul was not going to accept worship from anybody, right? And so we know he likely gently rebuked them. Okay. After three months, oh, I'm sorry. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the land, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. Interestingly, the leading citizen of the land, for the longest time, we just, people just thought this, this was a great man. This was a great wealthy man part of the island until archaeologists uh, dug up this this inscription talking about the governor or the procreator of Malta as as a leading citizen of the island. So basically this is just another name for the governor. Publius in Latin means popular, okay? But but basically he is the governor of Malta. He is governor, the Roman governor over these barbarians, okay? But he sees he sees what happens to Paul. He sees that the, the people like him. And so he's going to take care of him. He's going to bring him in, he and his companions, and bring him in. So, and he entertained us them courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of fever and dysentery. This is, this is called the Maltese uh, um, dysentery. It, would, it, it, comes, it came from the, the milk of the goats at that time. But basically, this was fatal. This was a terrible disease that you ended up dying a very slow and terrible and painful death. And that's what Publius, his father, is laid sick with. Basically, they're just waiting for him to die. So, Paul went in to him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So he went into him, he prayed first, because the, the... the signs, the miraculous power is not from Paul. He prays first. 
also to show the people, this is not me. I am not the God who heals. I am not the great physician. Right? I'm praying to the great physician. Okay? I'm, gonna, I'm praying to the, uh, to the great physician. And he laid his hands on him. We've, we've talked about how this, how this symbolizes a transfer, a transfer of sorts, basically. Just like at the sacrifice, you would, you would, you would, you would hold, you would put your, lay your hands on the sacrifice before you sacrificed it. Basically, all my sin is on them. Paul, when he's laying his hands on these people, is saying, all my Christ is upon you now. That's why he lays his hands on him. Uh, and healed him, obviously, through Christ. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed, just like happened with Christ and just like we've seen throughout Acts. Once this gets around, once this gets around, everybody wants to come. Now they're coming to be healed, but they're also going to hear the gospel. They're also going to hear the gospel. Again, the signs and wonders that Christ did weren't for no reason. It wasn't to show off. It was to confirm and reaffirm what he was saying. So Paul is not given the power to heal without witness. It's not some parade like you, we see in t- televangelists today where they schedule healings and so forth. That is not of God. Christ never did such a thing. Paul never did such a thing. Peter never did such a thing. These occasions happened through God's providence. They did not say, hey, meet me on Saturday at 10 o'clock and we'll have a great healing. But as long as you have faith to believe, as long as your faith is strong enough, and as long as you give me $100, that's not the case. That's not the case. These are faithful servants of God. Paul is a faithful servant of God. So when he's given the power to heal, he is also given the power to witness. And that's what Luke leaves out in his part of the account, though. Okay. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. So, another Alexandrian ship, obviously the other one, was probably not fit to sail for a very long time. The thing was broken and busted. Now, the twin brothers are Castor and Pollux. In Greek, or Greek mythology and Roman mythology, basically these had their correspondence in the constellation Gemini. All right, now... Seafaring people back then thought that this, that this was the patron god of the seas, okay, which is now turned into the Saint Emo. Saint Emo, I don't know if you've ever heard of Saint Emo's fire. I don't want to get into that, but so, right, at this point, it's Pollux and Castor who are the great constellation Gemini, and they rely on Gemini for their safety. And tendency is to think that this is credulity at its finest. These ancient people were so silly with their silly little religious customs and so forth because we don't see that at all in our day. Nobody looking at signs and horoscopes. Nobody talking and looking at, you know, what today is supposed to laid out, what fate has laid out for them today based on what time of year they were born or any of this silly little nonsense. None of this silly credulity happens in our refined day. We're, we're just too brilliant for that, right? No, this is carried on into our time. People still look for horoscopes. Still, people still look at astrology. Still look at the stars for fate. So, the same tendencies of people ages ago are the same tendencies of people now. We, we, we like to act like we're more refined and we're not silly. You know, all these people were fools. If they just had had this technological know-how and this industrious fortitude, they would have known. They would have known, and, and now we're just so f- better than that when, in reality, we exercise the same things. In um, landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. Uh, and after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Puteoli. Okay, briefly, I do want to mention, when, when they went through Regium, uh, that means that they had to go through the... Masonic, uh, gosh, I don't remember what it's called, but basically, in I misspoke last week actually when I when I was referring to Homer's Iliad, it, many people probably got frustrated. I got frustrated when I heard that I called it <laughs> referred to Iliad. Iliad had to deal with the Battle of Troy. The Odyssey was Ulysses or Odysseus 
going back to Sicily through many, many through the seas. And he had to pass this same point. And it was believed at that point, at that, at that time, that there, on one side was this huge monstrous dog that would, that would you know, if you got too close to the, the, the coast, would come and take a sailor or two or three, maybe more than one, and take them back to his lair and devour them. The other side was a great whirlpool that would basically suck the whole ship down. So in the Odyssey, uh, Ulysses is, is very careful to go more toward the dog side because you know, you're looking at ultimate disaster or just some, losing some people. Now obviously, there wasn't a monster dog, but there, might, there was likely some hazard here. This is a very small strait, very narrow place to sail through. Okay, so this, they have to be very careful. We saw what happened last week. I'm sure they took extra care and just took their time to, to get through this straight. But I did want to mention that, that this has a history. This has a history, and I think Luke is pointing us toward that. You know, where the Greek mythologies that, has, that have no substance, that has, that has no reality, has found its reality through God, through Christ, through Paul. So they passed through the same straight. After, and after one day, the, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, where we found brethren and, and were invited to stay with them seven days. So they find brethren here. Uh, they finally get on land. They finally get on land. It's been months. It's been months since they left Caesarea. They finally are on land. And there, th there are brethren there. And we'll see even at Rome. We don't know who started these churches, especially even in Rome. But we see the next epistle right after Acts is Romans. And Paul, and Paul is basically saying, I am eager to come to, to Rome. You know, God has prevented me so far, but I know I'm, I'm going to end up coming to Rome. But we don't know who founded the church there, but there are brethren because God is amazing. There, there are brethren this far from Judea and Samaria. Remember Christ's commission. Terry in Jerusalem. <laughs> Once the Spirit comes, go out to Judea, to Samaria, to, then to the ends of the earth. Paul, Paul's missionary journey has not reached this far. Now it has, but somebody else, somebody else went that far. Somebody else, some unknown, uh, unnamed man or woman, who knows, likely a man, but some unnamed person went out into the remotest parts of the world, went out to Rome, went out to Italy, went out to Sicily, went out to Spain. Even, even according to tradition, when he went to Spain, there was already a church founded there. It's believed Thomas went to India. There, so the spread, I, what I want to emphasize here, the spread of the church was like a wildfire. It was like a wildfire. Fire. Jesus rose, sent his spirit, and then boom, boom, like, like nothing we've seen in history. Islam took over because they killed everybody. It's a geopolitical religion. Okay? The Christians... Remember, remember when, um, when, they were, when they were being accused of, of turning the world upside down? That is what the Christians do. We turn the world upside down. We do not take the sword. We do not bear a shield. We do not bear, throw spears. We do not use bows and arrows. We use the word of God. And his word caused a greater spread than anything we've seen in history. Any military campaign, any religious campaign, any campaigns whatsoever, anything, you name it, there's been nothing like this. God is faithful through his men and women for his men and women. And so Paul ends up at this place and somebody had already been there. Somebody had already been there. And so now his job is to build up the church, to build up and strengthen the church. At first, he even sees, says it in his epistles. What he was determined to do, what he was committed to do, is go into these areas that have no churches, have not heard the gospel. And that's what he was doing. That's what he was doing. But somebody else had gone out to Rome. And now, now it's past that time to go and build churches. Now it's time to build up and restore and, and uh, strengthen the churches. So that's what he's doing. And from there, then the brethren heard about us 
they came to meet us as far as Epi Forum and the three inns. I find that fascinating. So the the, the Christians in Rome, sorry, I just have, I, I get these pictures in my mind. The the Christians in Rome have received the letter, right, from Rome. Now the Christians are starting to be hated. We'll see that. Even even the Jews mentioned that. The the Christians are starting to be hated. So they're coming they're coming out to Paul at great hazard, you know, great possible danger to themselves. And I'm sure the married ones are telling their wives, hey, I'm going to go down and meet up with Paul. And I'm sure some of them got some pushback. What are you, crazy? <laughs> what are you, insane? We have his epistle. We have his letter. That's good enough. But that's not true. The letter's, the letter's wonderful. Correspondence is great. But that's nothing like the person, right? It's nothing like meeting with the actual person, the man. And so these men cannot wait to meet with the apostle. They have received the letter, the faithful letter, that built them up in Christ, and now they want to meet this man, and they are going to go out of their way, at possible hazard to their own lives, to meet him. So these are not just brothers. These are wonderful brothers, devoted brothers, committed to Christ and to his apostle. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. See? He sees the same thing. He see he, you know, again, he hasn't been to Rome. He, all he's done is sent a letter, and he's hoping for the best. But then he gets he gets near Rome, and these brothers can't wait to meet him. And so he's greatly encouraged, and he thanks God that his witness, that he didn't have to take place because he wasn't bodily there. God is God. His spirit has reached these places, and so much to entering into these men, that they come out and meet him. It's a great encouragement to Paul. So he thanks God and took courage. Again, this is great encouragement. Remember when he was on the, on the ship and everybody had lost hope. Now he took courage. Now he's taking courage. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldiers who guarded him. So uh, all the other prisoners have to go to the prison, Luke, as we've seen, I'm, I'm sorry, Paul, as we've seen, has more liberty. He, he has his own rented house, basically. But he would be chained to a jailer, or to a soldier, all day. Basically, they would go in shifts for six hours. So you have four different soldiers, basically, six hours at a time, all day, every day. So when he refers to his chain, that's what he's talking about, his chain to the soldier. However, if you read Philippians, he talks about the, this witness, even being imprisoned in Rome, he's able to, through his example, and he does pre preach to some of the soldiers, but through his example, people are seeing God and Christ manifest in his ministry. So it's not said here, but it's said in Philippians. So, and it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people of the, or the customs of our fathers, which we have seen, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. We've seen that. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. It, this is just recapitulating everything we've already seen and discussed. So, for this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you because, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Again, he's basically saying, I'm still a Jew. I'm still a faithful Jew. And for the hope of Israel, basically, I am bound. I'm bound. I believe in the same thing you do. I just see it fulfilled in Christ. And I want to talk to you about that. So, then they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. That is fascinating. That is fascinating for a number of reasons. First of all, they have, got, they have received no correspondence from the Jews in Jerusalem about anything about this Paul man, this man named Paul. Nothing. And even the delegates that they have sent there haven't said anything ill of Paul. Now, one of two things... It, or the case. The Jews never came because they had no case against him and they didn't want to, they were already afraid of Caesar. And they didn't want to, you know, be punished for that. So they might have just not come at all. Or, or they were just going to come after this time. Remember, they, the, the 
it's dangerous to go up on the sea over winter, so they might have just wintered in Jerusalem and come later. But I find the former to be more most likely because even during this whole time frame, there's been no correspondence from the Jews to the Roman Jews about Paul. Remember, they, would, they were just determined and committed to killing him. So why send anything to Rome? Why send any correspondence? We just want to kill him here. Then they said to him, Oh, I'm sorry. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know it is spoken against everywhere. So again, this sect they see as a heresy, but we see it that it's spoken against everywhere. Not just with the Jews, not just with the Jews from Jerusalem, but everywhere it's spoken against. See, this is an indication that Christianity is starting to be strongly persecuted. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. So he goes all day. He goes all day teaching them from the scriptures, just as Christ did after his resurrection to the apostles and disciples throughout the scriptures, but he does this all day. Now the kingdom of God, briefly, because remember at the outset of this, we wanted to consider this more. The kingdom of God has a, the theologian said, it has an already and not yet aspect to it. There's, there's a sense in which the kingdom of God is because God reigns. God reigns, he's created and sustains all things, but there is a kingdom coming. There is a kingdom without end, a true kingdom of his people, so a kingdom of a people. The kingdom of God in, in his sovereignty has been since creation. So that kingdom has been from, from forever and will be eternal. But the kingdom that is not yet is the one that will be established. That started when Christ ascended to the Father. Remember, that was his great culmination. That's when he was crowned king, he came, he came home victorious. When he returns, that final kingdom that the Jews were looking forward to, remember, that's what they were looking forward to. They're, they're waiting for God to reign upon the earth, and they believed that the Messiah would do that in his, initially, right when he came. Again, you're, you have to put yourself in that time period. They didn't know. They, they see... They see all the prophecies, they see all the Psalms, they see all these things, but they don't know what to make of it. Read Revelation. I don't know exactly what to make of it. I think eschatology, it's the study of end things, end times, isn't, isn't solidified. We don't know. It's a mystery. These are all mysteries that are later revealed. Remember Paul even said, the mystery that was once concealed is now revealed through Christ. All these things that we couldn't understand. All these things that were kind of not held in secret, but basically not able to be even more fully understood until Christ came. Until Christ came. So, just wanted to finally kind of get back to the kingdom of God. We'll return to that, God willing. But that, that can, kind of gives you an idea about what's being referred to as the kingdom of God in, in different aspects. But those two, most generally. Okay. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved, as has been the case. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. Obviously, this isn't one literal word. It's one final message. This is his final message in the book of Acts that Luke is recording. I think Paul said, shut it down after this. This is it. You can tell, you, you can write that, you know, I, I had rented my own house for two years and then ended there, but this is my final word. This is my final word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our father, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears of heart are hard of hearing, and their eyes they've closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. So first he starts 
the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet. The Holy Spirit can't speak anything else. He only speaks rightly. But he's making the point to the people who don't believe, who aren't believing. Indeed, this is true. Everything we know, everything you've read yourself, is true. Is true. Just like Isaiah said, this is the prophecy following Isaiah's vision of the, of the Lord high and lifted up. And the seraphim come and touch, comes and touches his tongue with a coal. And, he, and, you know, basically God's asking, who's going to believe our report? Who will believe our report? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And then shortly thereafter, God says, go. Go to these people. Go to these people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they've closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn them, so that I should heal them. This is a judgment of God. This is a judgment. If a man or a woman's heart is hard, so they won't hear, he will shut their ears. If men and women's hearts are too hard toward God, that they won't see him, he will close their eyes, lest they turn. It's a judgment of God. I want to conclude. In Matthew chapter 13, Christ <coughs> talks about, he gives the parable of the sower. And I want to give the parable, and then we're going to talk about it, and then we'll talk mostly about his, his expositing his own parable parable goes this goes like this and he spoke many things to them in parables saying behold the sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth but when the sun was upon but when the sun was up they were scorched and because they had no root they withered away and some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them but others fell on good ground and yielded crops, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given, because God's providence, he chooses whom he chooses. I will have grace upon whom I will have grace. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And I'll have wrath upon whom I will have wrath. And I will judge who I will judge. God is sovereign. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in the prophecy of Isaiah, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand. And seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. It's the exact same prophecy that Paul gave. Now, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And now remember, when he was asking, who do men say that I am? And the apostles are saying, some say you're Elijah, some say that you're a prophet to come. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Christ says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. Your eyes are not open because of some silly little man or because of your silly little rationale. But my Father, who is in heaven, has opened your eyes and has opened your ears by His grace. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, and the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the, deceit, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. 
We will never do altar calls. I don't believe in altar calls. But I do implore the unregenerate to listen. Open your ears to this. These are four different people, basically. The seed, the word of God, falls among the wayside sometimes. People will hear it. Some people hear the gospel. They don't receive it, really. They receive it. And the birds come and take it away. The devil comes and takes it away. It's fed to some, somebody who is not his people. That seed is not for them. But it falls among deaf ears. falls upon, uh, off the field. They are not even in the field. So that's one. The one, the one who will hear the word and not receive it at all. Second, falls upon rocks. Their heart is too hard. They receive it gladly for a time. They receive it gladly for a time. Then when trouble arises, when persecutions come, they flee. It's too hard for them. Their rocks, their hearts are of stone. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. That's what Moses would say to the people, as you did in the wilderness. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Some falls among thorns, and they receive it. Then eventually they're choked by the riches of this world. Some falls on good ground. There are people, men and women, who hear the word of God and have no care for it at all. Those are the ones the word of God falls on the wayside, not even part of the field, not even, not accepted at all. There's no ground there for the seed. So it's taken up by the devil. The others come into the church. They come in gladly. They hear the word, they hear the word of God. They see the salvation of Christ and they come gladly because they think now all my problems will go away. Remember last week we considered that the storms, once they hit a storm, they think this, this is an unrighteous God. This is a cruel God. I thought, I thought I was coming to a loving God. I thought I was coming to a comforting God. And he is. He is. Again, our faith does not depend on circumstances. It depends upon the word of God. So, that's good ground. The third. The third. The third attend churches today. There are many who have been Christians for a long time. Serve in the church. Tithe. Preach. Give alms. Pray for the sick and the needy. Give alms to the poor. Care for people. Worship. But the things of this world, whether it's gross sin that they're tried to excuse because now that is their God. They don't believe in the God who is. They don't want the God who is. They want the God that stimulates their like and just want God to conform to their image. The church is filled with those who are choked among the thorns. At the end of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, I don't know if you all are familiar with this, but this is where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they who weep, for they should, they should be glad. Blessed, and so forth. At the end of all this, at the end of all this account where everybody thinks, oh, this is just a great, beautiful speech from Jesus. He's so wonderful. And he is. But at the end, it's where he, towards the end, is where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my, of my Father in heaven. 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Many Christians today think that they, since they raised their hand and they confess that they believe in Jesus and they signed a card, that they're saved. They think salvation comes one day and then it doesn't matter what you do for the rest of your life. Assurance of salvation depends on His providence and depends on His faithfulness, not our silly little profession in accepting Jesus as if, like, by our own will, He saved us. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, I accept you. You're, you're very welcome that now I'm part of the club. I'm sure you've been waiting me to, for me to come, to come in. God saves many. This should be a warning. Many in the church are complacent. Are complacent. They find their assurance in, in moment-to-moment scenarios. They think since they feed the poor, since they're casting out demons, since they're prophesying, since they're doing these great wonders for Christ, for Jesus, they're, they're entered in, man. They are part of the club. They are part of the people because they're doing these things. They're like the older son serving his father like a slave. Have no love for him whatsoever. They don't know that. They don't think that anyway. They have eyes that don't see. They have ears that don't hear. Take heed. Take heed. This is a warning for those in the church. For those outside, indulge me for a moment. For those outside. There are many reasons people come up with for not receiving Christ. We've talked about some. They think that they need to be more valuable. They, need to, they think they need to earn salvation. And so the cross is of no value. So that's one reason. Some reason, some people think that, you know, there's so much evil in this world, a good God couldn't possibly be. There are many silly little reasons. Emo- this is, emotions are a big deal in our day. We talk about depression. We talk about we talk about great tragedies, all of which happen. All of which happen. We all have we all, we all have a variety of emotions from time to time, right? There's a time to weep, and there's a time to be glad. There's a time for peace, there's a time for war. It's in Ecclesiastes. There's a time for all of these. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. There's a time for everything under the sun. Sometimes we're mourning, we're weeping, we're depressed, cast so low that the burden of the world is so heavy upon us we can't even look up. And sometimes we're so full of jubilation we're too blind to even seek Him. There is one place, there is one place where all of our emotions where all of our emotions are at their height simultaneously. One place, and that is at the foot of the cross. Where you have repentance and forgiveness. You have sorrow and thanksgiving. You have mourning. You have gladness. You have a great struggle and a war going on. And your peace. It's hanging and they're bleeding. Whatever reason men and women might come to, they might imagine themselves a reason not to come to Christ, are all fallen at the foot of the cross. We're in the perfect culmination of time from eternity for eternity. Our Savior died upon that cross to bring to bring his people home to bring his people home those he will not be his people but ears 
which cannot hear. That is why when we read the portions of Scripture, we say, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We preach to faithful men and women, and we preach to non-believers, but we, because we preach to the people of God, and we preach to those who are unregenerate and will always re and will remain unregenerate. Remember, unless you are born of the Spirit, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. I wouldn't. I would not compel anybody to come to Christ because of hellfire and damnation. I will not shrink from preaching it, but that is no reason to come to God. That is no reason to love your Savior. Thanksgiving, adoration, worship is the result of his salvation. Not respite, not a fat comfort now that we will never, ever have to bear the flame. We bear the rebukes, the slanders, the flames, the swords, the beheadings, the upside-down cross, now, until glory. Jesus will not take away your problems. He might give some more to you to refine you. I promise no one perfect peace and tranquility, riches upon riches. Come to Jesus, name it and claim it is a call from the devil. You will hear no such thing from this pulpit, and nary such a thing should come out of your own mouth as well. So for those who are outside of the sheepfold, find the great shepherd who will leave the 99 to come and track you down. Why? We should plea with tears and broken hearts. God is not pleased that any should perish. He desires that all should come and have everlasting life. Peter talks about that. But he is not a god. He's not a puppeteer. He is not a ventriloquist. He will run many people down. Many are called. Few are chosen. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Receive him. Receive him gladly. Hear your Savior call. See your Father running you down. Fall upon your knees and see yourself for who you are. And at last, see God for who he is. We make him out to be all sorts of different things until we actually come to him and we do have eyes to see, ears to hear. This is not a credulous faith. This is not a blind faith. This is a real, historical, manifest faith. So, when you hear his call, even if you are within the sheepfold, heed Take heed, hear this warning, hear this warning, and devote and commit yourself to your Savior. On this side of the Jordan, on this, on this side of salvation, we've made the point sanctification is synergistic. He, he's waiting for your faithfulness. He's waiting for your acts of devotion your service. He has served you completely. Christ washed the disciples' feet. He did something even, even a slave at that time would not have to do, not be required to do. He did it willfully. King of kings is a servant of servants. I pray we have that same heart. Praise God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, as we conclude this volume of the acts of God and of your Spirit, we ask 
we find ourselves within the sheepfold. That your rod and your staff, they comfort us. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. Makes me lie down in green pastures. Father, so come. Come and implant us in your living waters. Make us a tree and graft us into your vine that we might branch out and receive many to yourself. Father, let us be your reapers for the harvest is white for the reaping. Your son asks that we pray that you send harvesters out to reap your great people for that eternal day that eternity where shouts of praise shall reign forever tears no longer shed pain no longer felt mourning ceases in eternity in our day in our sunlight is you yourself my God until that great day Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your witness. Set ablaze a fire in your name. As we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life. <laughs>